What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program once again. If this is your first time checking out the show, thanks for uh, tuning in. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support the podcast in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, give the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so. And uh, that will help propel the podcast into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more national and international visibility and uh, just get more exposure for the for the folks that come on the podcast and is just a great way to contribute to the sustainability of this thing and growing the show and uh, appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. And uh, you can also check out the Dan Cable Presents YouTube channel, which features a bunch of in-studio performances and uh, live show performances. Bunch of videos up there. All music genres are covered, so uh, check that thing out. Give uh, give the page a subscribe, and then you will know when the uh, new videos hit the feed. There, DanCablePresents.com is the central location to find all the things going on. The new episode always pops up there every Friday whenever it's available, but uh, if you just hit subscribe, hit subscribe. I just, wow, I just did one of my beard, my little beard hairs got caught in the microphone and then I pulled the microphone away and uh, it certainly did rip that out. That didn't feel good at all. So uh, we're off to a, uh, a great start here in 2020. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Anyway, if you hit subscribe wherever you're listening to, then you'll know when the new episode is available on Fridays. So go ahead and do that we've got episode 195 to kick off the year first episode of the year and uh we got a band hang maurice and the stiff sisters this is a long time coming this is a band that i've wanted to uh, have on the podcast for a uh, a very long time and i think they put on one of the coolest most fun live shows in this city so i am uh, i'm pleased to have them as the uh, the guest for 195, and we're going to get into that momentarily. I do want to shout out that on January 16th, this band, Maurice and the Stiff Sisters, uh, will be releasing their debut album, Welcome to Love, at Mississippi Studios with uh, Toy Boat, Toy Boat, Toy Boat, and uh, Kululu, who's also going to be on the show sometime this year. I'm going to make that happen. Got to get Kululu on the uh, podcast they are another one of the most amazing bands in the city so much fun to see play live so uh that is going to be a killer show january 16th i'm really looking forward to that one and it is at mississippi studios which is one of the raddest rooms in the city really amazing place so if you have not made it out there and you're looking for an excuse to go there this is the night to go so january 
16th, and we will touch on that a little bit in the episode. So that is that. And also, I've got a couple DJ sets going on this month here in Portland, the first of them being January 10th. That is next Friday. January 10th, I will be over at Jinx, which is a new bar off 33rd and Killingsworth. So I'm stoked. I will be over there from 8 to midnight and uh, spinning all the digital jams, some local stuff, some uh, some deep cuts, and uh, everything in between. It's going to be a, uh, a real cool time over there. Stoked to check that place out. And then January 22nd, I will be back at church, church bar over there off Sandy in like 26th or something. Uh, but that is January 26th. So uh, January 10th at Jinx and then January 22nd at church looking forward to those also past guest of the show and someone featured on the best of episode from 2019 that was released last week your smith will be at the doug fur on uh, january 11th and then someone else that needs no no plugs for for these shows uh at the wonder ballroom january 18th amazing rap show going down one of my favorite rappers of all time mick jenkins is going to uh to be there and uh headlining that night night that night is uh earth gang who are amazing as well and uh saw them a couple years ago at the wonder ballroom so that is a uh amazing hip-hop show going on at the wonder ballroom on january 18th and that i believe is going to be all of the ramblings for uh for episode 195 uh, follow me on the old Instagram at Dan Cable Presents, and I will be uh, shouting out all these dates that I that I just ran down here, and uh, also uh, I don't know, man. It's 2020. We've all got some supreme vision now, so I'll be uh, I will be sharing my supreme 2020 vision there, and uh, for real, happy New Year to you all out there, and uh, hope hope you're getting it off to a, a real banging start. And uh, I'm stoked to to kick this year off with Maurice and the Stiff Sisters. I will put all the links in the episode notes so people can uh, follow along with this band if you dig what you hear. The record, uh, Welcome to Love, also comes out on January 16th, which is the, uh, the night that they are going to be at Mississippi Studios. Let's get into this thing. We've got episode 195, Maurice and the Stiff Sisters, on the podcast and kicking it off with one of my favorite tracks off the Welcome to Love record, and it is called French Exit. Let's do the damn thing. Don't want 
y'all ready to uh, jump into this thing? Thank you for having us on the podcast, Dan. Dude, I'm super stoked to have you guys on the podcast. Um, Reese and the Stiff Sisters is by far one of my favorite Portland bands to see live. There's, uh, I don't know, you guys just put on such a, a fun show to go see. I think that's... Uh, I think that that statement would have been a lot cooler if you put a period after bands. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. We do put on a fun live show. That's that is kind of our thing. Yeah, for sure. It's always I don't know. It's always just kind of like a party. Or I feel like maybe you know, you are the uh, the band that's supposed to be playing at the high school prom. We've heard that. <laughs> we're we've yet to play any proms. Believe it or not, you should be playing all the proms. Isn't there like a big Portland prom that goes on every year? Oh yeah, there's grown up proms. Where are we with that? Um, yeah, where are you on the where are you on the booking? Make sure that we're <laughs> in line for the next uh, Portland Prom 2020. I feel like that's a market you should be definitely you know tapping into. We've been working on a great <laughs> cover of Earth Angel, <laughs> but from Back to the Future with the really messed Dude, up like about a minute that's in, what my, I'm saying, my hand is going to disappear. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. You could just be like the new Back to the Future band. Whenever there's a reboot of Back to the Future, that's bound to happen. This has come up to us in the past, and this is actually one of the band dreams, is when they do reboot Back to the Future, back to Back to the Future, uh, (laughs) that we are going to be the high school band, the prom. We're going to be doing Earth Angel. We're going to do Johnny Be Good. Uh, People are not going to like it. (laughs) They're not going to like it. They're not going to get it. They're not going to like the movie either. It's going to be ahead of the time. (laughs) But your kids are going to love it. (laughs) Nice, dude. Nice. Very cool. Um, yeah, let's let's kind of like start from the the beginning of how this all gets started. Um, Spencer, how long have you been writing songs? Um, I've been writing songs since before I learned to play guitar on a guitar. So those first songs were not good, but uh, that was about I was maybe fourteen or fifteen when I started writing, and um, yeah, been writing songs for different bands and different projects ever since. So that's another 10 years. Uh, were you always kind of the person writing the songs and, and fronting a band? No. Um, most of the time, I was a co-front, co-singer, co-writer with a lot of, most of the bands I've been in. Um, I like a lot of bands that have different voices and different sounds, and so that was kind of part of it was making sure that other people in the band uh, wrote the songs. But however, I've become a lot more autocratic lately in the last 10 years, and uh, uh, Maurice and the Stiff Sisters is a uh, uh, an example of that, where I write the songs for this band. Yeah, were you, what kind of bands were you playing in before Maurice and the Stiff Sisters? Was it always super spread out? Dan, I've done a lot of different bands. I mean, my background was in heavy metal and rock, and then I got into theater really heavily around college, and so I did a lot of writing for theater, either background music or rock musicals, things of that nature. Uh, and then I was played in comedy bands. I was in a uh, new metal hip-hop uh, comedy rock band. <laughs> I was in a, another comedy rock band. It's uh, Most of my bands have had a very theatrical element to them, um, and uh, I'm still in uh, a full-time Christmas and Hanukkah rock band, apart from being in Maurice and the Stiff Sisters. And uh, then the last band that I... I only fronted really one band before Maurice and the Stiff Sisters, and that was kind of uh, college college rock. 
we listened to a lot of Flaming Lips and Broken Social Scene and kind of went for really orchestral rock sound. Uh, what was it about the more theatrical stuff that you uh, really dug into? Um, I like going to shows that are uh, a performance and not just, you know, a couple folks up there playing instruments. I like there to be a story. I like there to be sets, costumes, a look, a vibe. Uh, there's, I've, you know, I, I grew up and listening to a lot of concept rock, like psychedelic stuff, a lot of Pink Floyd and The Who and things like that. And um, I like my songs uh, to tell stories. I like the music to tell stories. And uh, I think that there's a visual component a component that accompanies it is, is really important. It's putting on a good show and it's putting on an experience. Yeah. Uh, Dave and Aaron, you guys are also really appreciative of, of like the performance of of seeing bands and, and artists, uh, I think what Dave would mean is to say, <laughs> no, go, go ahead, yes, go ahead, Dave, yes. please go ahead. I did that to you before. That's my <laughs> my running gag is just to stop Dave before he starts. Dave, comment. <laughs> Allow me to comment. Uh, I've I've definitely never been in a band before um, that is as theatrical as Maurice and the Sisters. Uh, not that we're more theatrical than Kiss or anything, but we do uh, wear some outfits and we may have some incense involved. We may wear some uh, monk robes. Uh, you know, there's various performance art elements. Um, tons and tons of blood. <laughs> a lot of blood. It's, uh, it's new and exciting for me. I really appreciate it. Uh, it makes the shows uh, entertaining for me. I sit behind the drums and I feel sometimes like an observer as much as a performer, uh, and I really appreciate Maurice's uh, character acting that goes on <laughs> on stage. And is drums your first instrument? Uh, yeah, in that it's my most trained instrument. I technically took piano lessons before um, I ever played drums, but yeah, drums okay. is my instrument. Yeah. And you may or may not have also fronted a band and played guitar and written the songs as well. I have done that. Yeah, okay. Is, uh, we're not we're not going to plug that band. Is that we're not is, here to talk about that band? Is that uh, since you have that experience as well as like fronting and, and playing your own songs, is that where some of that like ab experience of just being an observer kind of happens? Of you just sitting behind the kit and and seeing it all unfold? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I just I'm such a fan of Maurice's songwriting. Um, so it's really fun and satisfying on that on that level, you know, just like what can I add to this? How can I support this song? Um, you know, how can I do whatever I can do to kind of bring the most out of the song? But uh, it's it's really fun to be a, a supporting member. Yeah, and Aaron, what about you as far as uh, being in something that has uh, the performance piece to it, being a, being an important thing in this band? I'm gonna have you grab that thing because I don't know why why this is uh, not happening. You can just you can just share. Just pass back. I'm course. sorry. Fair enough. Don't worry about it. So it's uh, being goofy. I I think that uh, there is a necessary visual component. 
and you're at a live show. And I think that taking advantage of that and um, Can you put that thing exploring that is a, a, a big deal. And it's one of the things I love about Maurice's show is that um, he he does that. And we've talked about it before. It's like almost, um, you know, it's a, it's a ritualized thing. And uh, when you think about the order of service and a really good show, it's it's very, very much a similar thing, you know, and everybody has their uh, their robes to wear or you know their their vestments and uh maurice is is there front and center conducting the order of service and it makes the whole thing very engaging and fun and sticks with like this very biological level of of who you are so yeah do you feel like there's uh in doing all that there just like seems to be more intent with with the performance as well when the thought is put into like what are we gonna wear and how are we gonna present ourselves tonight well it helps me escape it helps me get out of my brain a little bit and into a place where it's kind of magical realism where um you can kind of play pretend and you can kind of make things up and be a different person than who you are off stage uh costumes and or at least dressing a certain way um like what you were saying aaron it's it's kind of like going to a a religious uh uh, experience going to church or a mosque or, or temple or whatever. Um, the people who are running the show, they have special clothes that they wear. Um, most of the people who are showing up there are also thinking about what they're going to wear. They're, they're thinking about it. Um, they don't just go in t-shirts and jeans most of the time. Um, and that puts you in a special place where you're open to uh, different ideas that seem you know farcical or fantastic. Uh, and uh, and you can get away with a lot more. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. There doesn't seem any like to be anything gimmicky about it to me. You know, it seems like it's a very just a very cool thing and not not cheesy. Well, and I think it's coming from an honest place. I mean, it is a different version of ourselves for sure, uh, but it's tapping into a, a just a, kind of a different vein of. Of who you of who you are, a, a different facet of your personality. Yeah, and you talked about allowing it, allowing yourself to like escape through that a bit. Does that also allow you to be super comfortable fronting a band and being in front of an audience, or is that something that you've always felt pretty comfortable with? Oh, I drink and do drugs to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Maurice is extremely skilled at fake comfort, comfort in front of the audience. Uh, he seems so confident, and he is confident, but I know underneath it, as, as reflected in some of his lyrics, uh, you know, there's the same insecurity that we all have. Yeah. Do you oh, there's a lot of fake until you make it going on in there. You know? For sure. Um, would you say that off stage? you are a little more reserved than you are as like a front man of, of this band? Oh, absolutely. People often tell me that I'm a totally different person once I get off stage uh, and, and talk to someone face to face than what they saw just, you know, 10 minutes before on stage. Uh, you know, just a different part of my persona. Uh, the impresario, the, uh, the performer, uh, and then when you talk to me, you know, all the uh, all the crushing insecurity comes right back and I have no <laughs> idea what to say. So when did you uh, start kind of putting together the idea 
of, of Maurice and the Stiff Sisters? How did that all shake out? I relocated to Portland from Chico, California uh, about eight years ago. And I left my normal bands back in California and I wanted to do something different with my music when I got up here. Uh, I wanted to write songs that were positive, upbeat, happy, and kind of a little bit of trying to realize uh, dreams a little bit. So it started with that. I wanted to make happy music for, for a change versus my kind of somber indie rock stuff from, from college years. And uh, yeah, I went from there. I, I, I had two prime directives. I wanted to make happy music and I wanted it to have horns in it. Um, which to me, when, when you have horns in a band, uh, it really heightens everything. It really amps it up whether you're going for super happy fun or uh, you know, stirring and, and powerful and, and trying. Like, yeah, horns are, they're salt. It's audio salt. Totally. Absolutely, man. They're a game changer. They're such a powerful instrument in, I don't know, especially in the, in the live setting. There's just nothing, nothing like some horns. Very few of my bands in the past have had horns. Um, I would say zero. Yes, zero of my bands before have had a, a full-time horn player. So it's, it, it was really exciting, the thought that I'm moving to a city where there's actually, I can have the potential of finding people who play horns and want to play this kind of quirky pop, upbeat pop music that I'm writing. Yeah, and as sort of a newcomer to the city and having this vision of putting these tunes together? How did you start uh, piecing together the band? Mm, I started by just trying to get a catalog of songs going and I was playing in other bands and supporting those uh, uh, bands in different roles, either guitar or bass or I played trombone in a band for a little bit. Um, I was terrible, uh, but it happened. <laughs> Uh, so I met our bass player, Mike Doherty, through my wife, uh, Jody Nixon. Uh, she was working with Mike at a restaurant, at a nice Italian restaurant in town. And I got to know him through social functions, went over to his house and just kind of realized that we got along, played each other some songs. I played him the stuff that I was working on. He played me his band, uh, Future Historians, which Dave Schur here is the front man and songwriter, main and songwriter for. Uh, and uh, we went from there. We kind of filtered through a couple different drummers until Mike suggested, well, you know, Dave, he used to play drums back back when, and Dave showed up. He, Dave was actually at Mike and I's first show. We played as a duo at Turn, Turn, Turn. Maybe it was even the record room at the time. Um, and uh, we auditioned Dave, and we thought he fit right in. Uh, from there, it was just a matter of, okay, now we find some horn players. So I went to Craigslist, and let me tell you, there's a lot of horror stories from bands trying to assemble through Craigslist, and people listening to this podcast who are in bands and have tried to do the find a bass player, find a drummer thing through Craigslist realize it is just a real crapshoot. Uh, but on my first go-around, I found Aaron. He uh, responded to my ad looking for a trumpet player, and he wrote back saying that, yeah, I play trumpet. You know, and he showed up for a rehearsal. We'd send him a couple demos and showed up for an audition, rather. And he plays trumpet, and it's passable. It's all right. It's not, not bad. And he goes, well, yeah, I'm, I can play trumpet, but I really have to think about it. It's really not my first instrument. I also play saxophone. 
Mind if I try out the sax that I also brought along with me? Whips out of, probably an alto sax. I remember. It could have been an alto. It was probably an alto. And and play, we played through the songs again, and it's night and day. You know, that is an instrument that Aaron knows inside and out. Uh, so I kind of go, well, I'm not really looking for a sax player. I wanted it to be brass, a full brass section, but damn, you're good. <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll go, if you can switch that up to a tenor sax, that would be a little closer to what I'm thinking. And sure enough, Aaron brought the tenor next time, and it was just great. And uh, we played with a different trumpet player for a little while, and it didn't end up working out for one reason or another. Uh, but he plays in a band called Toy Boat, Toy Boat, Toy Boat. And he's fantastic in that group. His name's Travis. And they're on the show, right? They're going to be show, playing, right? with, uh, playing with us at our album release show. With Kalulululu. With Kalulululu. But we ended up parting ways with him and this band. And Aaron suggested a trombone player that he knew from uh, another band. It was Davy J and the Sparrows. <laughs> Davy J Sparrow and the Davey Western J. Songbirds. <laughs> Davy J Sparrow and the Western Songbirds. I'm going to give myself a, a B, <laughs> B plus on remembering that it's band. Pretty solid, good, man. Pretty solid. Uh, uh, so we, Aaron contacted Bryant Byers. Bryant came in and uh, auditioned on trombone. And, uh, and it worked out great. Fantastic trombone player. And Bryant is a, a pro who plays in symphonies and uh, does you know musical and summer stock type stuff? I thought there's no way he'd want to be playing in this kind of you know quirky rock band that's going to make zero money. Uh, and uh, surprise, surprise! Three years later, he's still playing, and he's uh, he's in the band. He's a badass. Hell yeah, um, Aaron! Have you been playing sax since you were a kid? Yeah, I did the whole like starting middle school thing and. Um, you know, did it like on clarinet, how everybody does, and switched to saxophone, and and kind of through high school went through all the different instruments, and uh, I I marched with a trumpet and drum and bugle corps, which is like just outside of high school marching band kind of thing, and uh, played saxophone through college, and just kind of my my main thing. Yeah, were you always kind of in and out of of different bands before getting involved with the Stiff Sisters? So I was pretty much full-time academic world until uh after college i took a few years off and started looking for excuses to play with other people um and you get that bug and you're like i gotta play i gotta find and um you know in the the horn world it's like you can do jam sessions and you can all the above but to actually play with original music is uh it's more work right you know and uh it's it's been a lot of fun to find songwriters that I really like and get to support them. So, um, yeah, so that's, I, I've been doing that for, uh, Davy J Sparrow and the Western Songbirds, was a Texas swing band that I was in, I guess, almost 15 years ago now. And I, and, uh, Bryant, who is the best trombone player I know, um, played with me doing Texas swing and dance grooves dressed up like Bob Wills. So, yeah. Yeah. Is that a fun thing to be able to bring someone like Bryant into the mix, like someone that you're familiar with playing with already? Is that sort of comparable yep. to like a rhythm section that likes to play with one another? For sure. I mean, I mean, anybody who's at Bryant's caliber is a pleasure to play with. But Bryant and I have played for a long time together, so uh, we fill each other's gaps like very quickly. And uh, I mean, he's the easiest person to work with for me. Um, so I don't, I don't know to say more than that. Yeah. You know? Um, 
It's like competence of the instrument plus uh, ability to improvise. Yeah. You're both arrangers as well, and songwriters and arrangers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, probably more. Would you consider yourself more of an arranger or songwriter? Uh, that's the craft that I probably bring is the arrangement. Like that's what I actually know what I'm doing. I I like to dabble at songwriting, but like that's your craft and you guys are really, really good at writing the overall song. But I really like to take chunks and build those out into something much bigger. And uh, I mean, I, I like to, to, you know, participate in the songwriting, but the reality of it is my, my craft is the arranging of the stacking of horns and that kind of thing. Yeah, just adding adding the color to the tune and, and whatnot. Yeah, it's, just, it's the bigger score, you know? It's like, you know, you've got that marching band roots from being in school for years, and it's like, you know, there's the bell section, and there's all the above, and it's like, wait, I can play all the horns today? Like, this is, <laughs> this is fun, let's do it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Dave, what initially... Uh, Drew you, I, I guess this is a question for both you and Aaron, but what um, what drew you into wanting to, to play Spencer's tunes? Um, well, as he mentioned, um, I went just as a friend of Mike Doherty's to, to see their very first live performance, which was at, I think it was the record room then, but now turn, turn, turn. It was just the two of them. It was just uh, acoustic guitar and electric bass. Um, pretty casual, um, and I really dug- I was really confident on that duo <laughs> arrangements of all these songs. Were you playing twelve string? Having uh, that too? Oh, no, I think I was playing a <laughs> like a twelve string acoustic nylon. Yeah, probably I was playing nylon guitar at the time. Um, and I I really dug the songs and I enjoyed it a lot. But I was like very insistent, uh, you know, as Mike sort of recruited me to audition that I didn't have time. I, I can't join another band. And, uh, and I sort of kept saying that like, yeah, okay, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll come to practice one time, but I, I probably can't do it. I probably can't do it, you know? Um, but I was really just genuinely sucked in, um, by the songs, you know? Uh, I remember the song Unlucky in Love, which was on the upcoming album. And that was the the one that we put together among the first, um, you know, two or three songs that I was a part of, uh, we had this like cell phone recording of, of the first attempt at it in practice or whatever. And I just sort of would listen to it like over and over and over. And I was like, huh, maybe this means I really am excited about this music, yeah. you know? And so I, I was just really genuinely just drawn in, you know, for sure. Aaron, were you, similar in that just really into the songs right away uh yeah i mean there's the overall songs the content is it's funny and it's sad and it's um insightful like it's it's great it comes from a really great place but for me uh i recognize in uh in the actual orchestration of what spencer does with the chord changes and the whole nine yards um i mean he's got crooked phrases he dropped like he does some really interesting rhythmic things within it's uh I don't know, it it's it's as easy to eat as pop, you know, it's like it's super consumable, it's delicious like that. Uh it's hyper palatable, yeah. if you will. But it's also like, damn, there's some there's some grit to this this thing that you've got going on. And I uh it's intriguing and it makes me laugh. Um, and sometimes not like out loud funny laugh, but like it, it catches you in an odd way each time and makes you think. So I don't know. I, I can't put it down. I like it a lot. 
yeah, I I very much appreciate like the the punk rock mentality that seems to be in all the tunes and especially the live performance. There's definitely that greediness that seems to exist and I dig that a lot, but then there's also like Aaron was saying like lyrically, I think there's a lot of very clever moments too. Just uh like on hard to speak, I love like the quicker to put the foot in my mouth than quicker on my feet like that's such a cool little one-liner um had you been like writing poetry or lyrics since you were pretty young as well oh yeah i wrote lyrics before i uh even tried to write a full song you know i i used my first band i was in i was probably 14 and i wrote lyrics for that and they were awesome as every 14 year old <laughs> lyrics are really well put together real clever yeah um there's something I wanted to do with the music or with the songwriting and it's, you know, a kind of a devil make here honesty, you know, that I want to be real and true uh, and also try to be really uh, simple in the way that I present ideas, uh, but also in a way that leaves them open to interpretation. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's what helps them become those like, pal- like give it, gives it that, that palatable pop feel, you know, and just... I feel like most of the tunes you're able to sing along with by the end of it, you know? And I don't know, that's that's where the engaging thing happens in a live show for sure. That's important to me because, I mean, the, the history of music, we've only had recorded music since, what, the late 1800s, 1880s or so? Um, before that, you know, of course there was sheet music, so you were able, if you hear a tune, you'd be able to buy it on sheet music and go home and play it on your piano. Um, for the very few people who actually had a piano or a fiddle or your trumpet or guitar or what have you. But even before sheet music was widely available before the printing press, people wrote amazing music that for all intents and purposes was you'd only get to hear presented once uh, when you were able to go to see a symphony or an opera or uh, any kind of uh, uh, musical performance. Those songs, you're going to hear them that one time from that composer, and they had to stick with you. You had to walk out of that room, uh, out of that concert hall, humming the tune, because that was what's going to stick with you. Right. If you weren't able to hum those tunes, you weren't going to think about that music again. But if that song got stuck in your head, you're going to listen to that song for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's a very very cool way to look at it, for sure. And... uh, I mean, everything on the record sounds great, but I think seeing your band live is really where it's at, and there's nothing that really compares to that because of the the energy that exists in it. So it's definitely one of those shows that I always look forward to, knowing that there's like a Maurice and the Stiff Sisters show to go check out, and and it's ideal that maybe someone someone is visiting in town that I get to take to this show and just be like, yo, this is going to be a very cool Portland rock and roll show and we should definitely go to this and uh yeah i don't know i just i don't know too many people that go to a maurice and the stiff sisters show and don't have like a really fucking good time so excellent i hope they decide to come back to a show one of these days (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe on january 16th at the mississippi studios which is a super stacked lineup in one of the best rooms in town absolutely one of the best sounding best looking rooms it's a great place. I love seeing shows there. It's an honor to be able to release our album at Mississippi Studios. Definitely. Um, and playing with a band 
like going back to the performance piece of everything and, and really diving into that, does it make it that much more exciting to play with a band like Kalulu, who <laughs> like really goes all in on the performance? Like it's very much an art performance with that band. Well, luckily they're playing after us, so they're not going <laughs> to totally just blow the night up and then we have to play after them. <laughs> oh my God, I can't imagine. You know what? I, I mean, I've seen both of your bands play a lot and I would be okay either way. I understand what you're saying about like, the way that they kind of like take a room and it's very much like what the fuck just happened. So I understand your position let's not on that. Count out Toy Boat either. I was about to say, yeah. I mean, Toy Boats, uh, they blow the roof off the place as well, you know, in their own regard and are one of my favorite bands. Just super weird art rock that is so much fun. Right on. We did give ourselves a, a kind of a hurdle by having Toy Boat, Toy Boat, Toy Boat <laughs> open up for us. They Have you seen them live? No, I've, they not, are I've not heard anything about this band, so I'm stoked to, to see them that night. Yeah, it's a really unusual lineup. You know, there's a drummer uh, who plays a fantastic array of percussion and drums, uh, a, uh, a guitar player who plays guitar and, and bass parts on the guitar, uh, and a trumpet player, um, and then a guy who plays this weird machine that is, uh, that's triggered by lights and spinning discs. It's really, really strange. It's wonderful. It's really uh, unlike anything else. And actually, I downloaded a bunch of music onto a, uh, onto a little uh, zip drive, and I was playing in my car, and I kept on hitting this one band going like, Oh my god, that's a great band. Which band is this? Because I would just download a lot of stuff and and then listen to it later. And I'm like every, <laughs> I just kept on finding that it was Toy Boat, Toy Boat every time. It's like that's Toy Boat, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Oh, they're gonna make it hard for us to play after. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool, man. Um, we're gonna get into Guided by Guided by Voices, which is one of my favorite tracks on the record, and uh, definitely has that that punk rock feel to it. It was, uh, was Guided by Voices, just one of those bands that super infected your your life and kind of informed your songwriting at a certain point? I spent college uh, a lot of college years doing college radio, and I got turned on to Guided by Voices and uh, was nonplussed. Uh, but I was in another band with where I played drums with a couple people who really loved Guided by Voices, and they played me a lot of their stuff. And I just realized that I was in that weird period of of the only Guided by Voices I heard were like the kind of strange albums that are not on the top of the lists of uh, Guided by Voices requests. For sure. Um, but I started listening to some of their uh, more well-known albums, the ones that people tend to say, listen to this one first, and I was enthralled by Bob Pollard's voice, uh, the songwriting, the power and energy, the, the, that really sweet poppiness in that, uh, in that punk rock, uh, fiery delivery. Yeah. It's a great band and I love that band. And that's one of those few bands that every time it comes on, on a random, I'll be stoked to hear. And also conversely, one of those bands that I only know about 10% of their material. <laughs> I'm only intimately familiar with about four of their albums, and they, they put out four albums this year, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like Guided by Voices is one of those bands I always hear the name, but I'm not super familiar with the catalog, and I actually had to, had to dive into some of it after like listening 
to uh, to your jam just so I had like some sort of reference for it and and definitely like going through that uh, is it Alien Lane? Oh uh, yeah, that's Alien Lanes that, is a the one great that you record. reference to in in the song. And yeah, that was the first one that made me open up my ears and go like, oh, this is cool. This record it was recorded on like a four track or eight track, some really home recording, so it has that really mid fi garage uh, sound, and it's just authentic and good and there's a lot of great songs and a couple stinkers on there too the guy writes so many songs that some of them are amazing and then there's some that i wonder why he decided that that was worth releasing yeah checking out that record uh a good flying bird it was one of the songs that kind of reminded me of of some maurice and the stiff sisters so uh this is guided by guided by voices from maurice and the stiff sisters No, I don't think I'm going to do it again. <laughs> not not this time? No, I don't think I'm going to do it again. He might not, not need your help, unfortunately. It should be noted that I actually <laughs> literally did vote for Trump, uh, but it was as a write-in candidate for, like, a Department of Agriculture or something, like, really low on the ticket, just so I could say that I voted for Trump. <laughs> <laughs> not for president. No. God, no. <laughs> vote for him for dog catcher. <laughs> so are a lot of the songs that are uh, on the record ones that have been around for a pretty good amount of time? Um, yeah, we've really taken our time getting our music recorded. Uh, a lot of these songs were in the first round of songs that I wrote for uh, for this project, um, including I think I Don't Know Much was the first song that I wrote for specifically for a new project, and, and that stayed in my back pocket for you know, a couple years before I even had a band to play it with. Um, some of the songs on the record are within the last two years or so, but mostly it's uh, older songs. Um, do you feel like having all that time gave you the opportunity to really know, like, what songs you wanted to be on the record and 
which one's kind of held up over time? It's more about marinating on all the material and finding the best way to present and the best way to go about it, not only in the meat and the meat and potatoes of the songs uh, of the recording, but actually all the stuff that's happening in the periphery of the music, uh, the little ornaments that, that you don't notice on the first time or two. Yeah, and are you primarily kind of bringing in these fully arranged tunes to the band? or I'd say for the most part, the songs are pretty fully arranged. The last couple of ones I brought in haven't been, and uh, they take a little bit longer to, to blossom if you bring them in at a state that are, is kind of a primordial state. Uh, preferably, I take in a song when it's gotten all the lyrics written, gotten all the chorus, all the melodies, and the arrangement as far as where it goes to a verse or is it going to have a bridge and what happens at the end of the song. All that pretty much fleshed out. And then we kind of mold it from there and you know things can change and take in and out. And uh, Aaron or Bryant might come up with a different melody or I might sing them a melody and then they kind of take the ball and run with it as it were. And I might suggest to Dave like maybe kind of a rhythm kind of like this and I might sit behind the drums for a second and play and, and he'll kind of nod and go, okay, okay. And, and then play something that's that take and then take it from there into where a place that he feels uh, comfortable. Uh, so yeah, uh, the songs are mostly written when I bring them into the band for the most part. Yeah, Dave, is that super helpful for you when Spencer can kind of just sit behind the kit and, and give you some sort of idea of what he's thinking? Yeah, I was just thinking about it, and like both uh, Spencer and Aaron seem to like write a lot of my drum parts they come up with the the best ideas um and then like maybe it's not great for my ego because i'm like <laughs> i'm the drummer but i would not have come up with that thing that is so cool you know well that's you don't sell yourself short you often come up with a part and then aaron and i will hear something and we'll say oh on this little bit would you consider doing this kind of strange thing and 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 then you'll take it from there and kind of make it your own yeah, and and in general, it's like a very open environment. Um, Spencer is really um, open to ideas and suggestions. Something I've always appreciated about him as a band leader. Um, there's really a feeling that like there's no bad ideas at practice, and um, there's bad ideas, Dave. I, I know, just, but you're I good at making it not seem <laughs> like you feel that way. I just don't hound you guys about them. <laughs> yeah, your your bedside manner is good. I mean, that's you take in Mike's bad ideas, <laughs> and then you gently redirect them. He's that's what I'm trying to say. Dress down Mike since he's not here to defend himself. <laughs> Mike is going no, to hate listening back to this. Oh, sorry, Mike. That's. I, I mean, I think that's that's a great characteristic in a band leader to you know, even though you're kind of bringing these songs that you obviously have a vision for, but to be able to you know let down some of your ego and, and listen to what the people around you are saying about the songs too. Well, I've been a support musician in a lot of bands. As I was, as we were saying, this is one of the few first bands that I've actually fronted. Uh, so when I've been in support roles and we're writing the music, you know, I always feel if it's a band that I can write the part and write what I want and how I think best complements it, I'm going to have a stronger connection to that music and I'm going to perform it better and I'm going to have a stronger uh, feeling about that band. So in turn, as a band leader, I want all the performers to feel strong about their parts, to feel 
uh, some ownership of what they're playing, well, feel entire ownership of what they're playing. They're choosing to that this is what I think best represents what we're going for as a team. Um, and so I want people to have that. At the same time, I still have ideas in my head and I'm not afraid to say, mm, I think that we should maybe do this differently. Uh, but at the same time, still be able to, you know, to have give and take and realize that I might not have the best idea for, for any given song, any given part. Right. And uh, yeah, Aaron, do you feel sort of that, that same welcomeness that, that your ideas are welcomed in the room and there, there is, even though Spencer's bringing maybe these, uh, these arranged tunes in, that the collaboration element is still there? I, I mean, absolutely. I feel like uh, what Spencer brings in is a, a really solid vision, but also just because he's confident in his overall vision and what he's going to do in his playing and competency. I mean, he's already got a guitar part that's often pretty rock solid, and he's got his vocal part that's pretty rock solid. Um, you know, anything you can do that's going to fit in between those gaps, um, he, you know, he, he, he wants me in his band for a reason, you know, and, and he lets me exploit what I hear. And, I mean, when things clash, we just kind of have a moment where it's like we A, B, we see which one sounds better, and whichever one sounds better is the one that stays in. And we let everyone in the band have input in that. Everyone yeah, Everyone who's absolutely. in the room is worth, worthy of, you know, saying that, well, I liked what Aaron was doing better, actually. I think that works better. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this collective mentality that, like, we're all Maurice and the Stiff Sisters, and not it's not just your tunes that everybody's kind of playing and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're all Stiff Sisters. I just happen to be the Maurice. <laughs> uh, and, and I don't know. That seems even before we got going on the mics, you guys were having a little powwow about some some album art and whatnot. And that's obviously was happening between the three of you. And it wasn't just your ideas being shed on that. And it seems like everybody's input is important to you along those lines as well. I want everyone to be happy and be able to present what we do uh, with uh, a sense of pride, absolutely. And we've been sending around uh, various ideas for album artwork. My wife, Jody Nixon, she uh, is doing all the design and uh, creating the art. And we, she did, I think, about five or six different cover ideas, and we shot them around uh, on a text thread, and people kind of put in their opinions, and I like that one, well, I like that one more than that one, or can we change this, like, can we alter it a little bit? And, you know, I think we've come to a place where we can all, either if we don't love it, we can accept it, or we love it. I love it. I think it's fantastic. And will that kind of, does that stuff kind of carry over to even deciding like what you guys are gonna wear for that show is that is that no something? no that's no. that is a totalitarian regime on <laughs> what you're gonna wear. I'm, there, I'm I'm halfway kidding. Mm, no, you're right. It's it's very totalitarian. I I send out a text usually a day or day before the show saying, "Hey guys, uh, so sound check is at this time. Uh, we have a, I think we're about a 45 minute set. I'll send you the the set list of what we're gonna play, and I want you to wear this." And, and is that, I don't know, are, is that just all like feel in the moment or are you kind of switching that up at, at all the time? I try to think of the show. I try to think of the room, the bands that we're playing with and what kind of a show we're going we're gonna to provide. Is that, are all of those, the details always been pretty important to you? Oh, definitely. As far I as think, creating? 
as far as the way we want to present the music, the detail is the most important thing. Just getting getting it all to kind of line up in a in a way that's pleasing. Yeah. Um, I know you were also a sound engineer. That's and, right. And uh, how long have you been doing that stuff? I started learning to work on really crappy PAs, being in bands, playing in crappy bars where you'd show up and there was no sound engineer. And so somebody's got to figure out how to turn this damn thing on. Uh, and I was had the privilege of working with uh, another sound engineer in a couple of my other bands back in California and kind of picking up a little bit of uh, knowledge. And then I went to school for audio engineering and didn't think I was actually going to do any of that for a living. And when I moved to Portland, I... I had been in the uh, writing world a little bit before that, uh, and I wanted to change the pace. I didn't want to write about music anymore. I wanted to be more of a more of a part of it. So I started picking up sound gigs here and there, and then got hired as a sound engineer for full time, and recently stepped down from that so I can focus on more music stuff. Yeah, I remember that I met you at the White Eagle when you were doing sound there. Do you feel like having the opportunity to do things like that and see tons of different kinds of bands informs what kind of show you want to put together after seeing all that? Oh, the more shows I see, absolutely. It's, it's, it's not about what I like. It's about what I don't like. Yeah. That's a lot of what taste is, you know? And absolutely. as far as, like, the music that I appreciate and the film and the food – it's not about the things that I like. It's what's more interesting are the things that I don't like and don't want to, don't want to tr- the the ground that I don't want to tread on. Yeah, no, I super appreciate that. I think that there's that is something you can pick up on, like from seeing other performances. Is usually the thing, the things that I take away are like, oh, that is what I do not want to do <laughs> during my show or or whatever. So, I like to find new ground. I mean, when I see. Over the course of two months, people tell the same kind of joke and the same kind of note and the same kind of beat. That's something I want to avoid. Uh, I would rather try to find an interesting way around a problem or an interesting way to get to our destination. Yeah. Something off the beaten path. For sure. And I don't know, just as a front a front man, you, you do a good job of, of just not talking a whole lot. But when you do, it's... It seems to be tasteful, you know, and, and part of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate to play in bands, like I've mentioned, being comedy rock bands and theatrical shows and this my Christmas and Hanukkah rock band, playing with some fantastic front, front people and being able to pick up on little tricks of the trade. So that informed me as much, probably more than doing sound on how I want to present, how, do, how I want to present the music and how I want to interact when I'm on stage. Yeah, and as far as the like recording process of the music is uh are you heavily involved in the mixing and and all of that process as well? Definitely have my hands in it, but there's a reason why I didn't record Maurice and the Stiff Sisters album uh uh Welcome to Love by myself. It's because I think someone else could do a better job. Uh, a professional, someone who's actually a recording engineer, because I'm a live sound engineer and I can make any band that's halfway decent sound uh, as good as they're able to on stage. 
in a studio setting, I don't really have the gear. I've never owned a studio or worked out of a studio. So I'd rather have someone else who I trust do that. And so we've really have created a really fortunate relationship with Victor Nash, who's the engineer and owner of Destination Universe, a studio in Southeast Portland. So we did, we recorded all of our songs at Destination Universe, except for one which we recorded at Fremont Recording before they switched, before they broke down their studio and moved to Savi's Island and built a new studio. We recorded on the tape there. One of those tracks is from those sessions, but it was mixed at Destination Universe with Victor Nash. And so, yes, while I have had a heavy part in the production mixing, and so was Mike Doherty, our bass player, um, I would say that more so it's about leaving it in the hands of a really capable engineer, somebody who isn't as close to the music as I am, someone who has different ears and can hear it from a different perspective, because I'm really close to it, and I will admit to being blind, having blind spots. Yeah, uh, what, what about... Uh what is it about Victor that you dig working with him? It's a comfortable studio. When I walk into that room, I just feel at ease. And it's a combination of knowing that Victor is an absolute wizard uh, with digital audio, audio platforms, uh, knows how to mic things, and knows how to make performers feel comfortable. And the room itself is, is really neat. It's a recording studio. And Have you ever been there? I have not been there. I've seen a lot of pictures and videos from there. It just looks amazing. Just it's neat. Destination Universe is a recording studio and also science fiction museum and library. So all throughout the walls are covered in science fiction paperbacks. Hundreds. Hundreds upon hundreds of them. Thousands. Thousands. Yeah, yeah. There's... <laughs> uh, science fiction memorabilia all over the walls. It really appeals to the geek nerd in me. And... Uh, we're really fortunate that uh, we've been able to work out of uh, Destination Universe with Victor. Yeah, is was it important to uh, try to capture some of the, like the raw energy as well of the band in in the recordings? Yeah, all the uh, guitar, drums, and bass were tracked live. A couple of the songs with horns and as well. We've tried it a couple of different ways. We've done many sessions there. We would usually go in and record uh, about two or three songs at a time over a month and then spend a couple months mixing and adding little bits and pieces. Um, sorry, uh, I totally lost my train of thought. I was going to say, that's all right. to save. Aaron, save say, save. Aaron, Con comment? Consistently, uh, Bryant and I track together, and it's one of the things that I think makes, uh, I mean, whatever. Horns make everything. What would you say? It was sonic salt? Audio oh, yeah, it's audio salt. Yeah, I it's like that. It's, it's the a, color, it's baby. Like, yeah, like I like that. Um, but uh, Bryant and I uh, play together in the same room all of our takes. So it's it's limiting in some ways because you have you know bleed over across mics and you yeah. both have to have a good take. Um, so it, it makes that part, it can make that part challenging, but it, it, it's this very real sound when you have the bleed between the two microphones and it, I think it makes a huge difference. Well, I think that's rad too that you both kind of have to nail the same take. Yeah, it, yeah. it's, I mean... Like I said, I, I love playing with Bryant. He's one of the best musicians I know. So it makes the whole process. I mean, it's it's pretty seamless. We do a good. We we play the songs a lot live, and we always have a pass in the studio that is our live take and is our live arrangement, and that makes for a level of authenticity in the recording and the live show. Um, we do do you know some passes because we can add an extra trombone or an extra saxophone or whatever, but um, that. 
that cleanness of that live show and the recording and have it being, you know, it's, it's consistent is really important to us. I think our whole show, I mean, it's really fun and it's, it's active and imaginative and we can kind of do what we want. Um, but we're also consistency is, it's, it's like a hidden thing that you might not see about Spencer and about the band, but it's like, it's hugely important to who we are. So yeah. there's something magical that happens when the music kind of mixes in the air and hits the microphones reflecting from different parts of the room. Um, and also the certain energy that happens when musicians are playing together versus sometimes in the recording process, a band will, you know, start with the rhythm tracks and then start layering things over one at a time. Um, and that's, you know, a, a perfectly fine way of going about it. But I think there's a way of capturing the energy and the mood when you do most of that live together, if not the full band, at least sectionals. So the rhythm section, the bass, drums, and rhythm guitar, and then the horn section together. And when we do some gang vocals, we all get around, crowd around a yeah. microphone and stuff, like a like a 1980s hair metal video. <laughs> that's know? very cool. No, I think I think... You know, layering everything individually definitely serves certain styles of music, but mm -hmm. there's definitely, uh, it's tough to replace the authenticity and the energy of, of the live takes of as many of the instruments caught live rather than doing overdubs, I think, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, and we've gone with no um, metronome on this record as well. Really? Um, there's a couple songs that have a metronome. Maybe one or two, but um, maybe early ones. But um, Dave's the metronome. That's right. Well, Hell it's yeah. kind of it makes it right. It it ties you to that take. When you're not, um, you know, when you're not locked into a click track, you don't really have a choice. You got to get through the take because um, you can't go back and replace things. You know. Yeah, that's that's very that's a cool way to do things. I appreciate that. Um, there's a couple things where we had to log into a grid because we wanted to layer things that were rhythmic, like drum machine based over. Yeah, we got a song, Oh Utopia, that has a, a drum machine section in it. And there's a couple things, but mostly. But for the most part, yeah, there's no metronome. We're just playing on the rhythm. And also, like, you know, uh, uh, electronic rhythm machines, that's another thing that hasn't been around for all that long. Uh, tempo was something set by the conductor or the individual musician. Uh, for millennia. Um, and it's okay for songs to breathe in the tempo, for certain parts to have a little bit more speed behind them or other parts to kind of slump back into the back of the rhythm a little bit. I have no problem with stuff being off the grid. Yeah, I mean, I think that's also probably a testament to the musicianship and the players in the band to be able to pull it off with no metronome too, even though there's maybe a little bit of leeway here and there. That's, I don't know. It's a style of music, too. I mean, if we were doing EDM, you know, it yeah, would be a different world. It wouldn't we work were, as well. If we were doing hip-hop, we would need something to be locked into the beat. Yeah. But with kind of our quirky, weird pop rock, you know, things can ebb and flow. They can breathe. And I think that's cool when stuff breathes in the rhythm. Yeah. Um, which is also a, 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 an easy way of me saying that, yeah, I'm going to screw Dave up by playing a little bit faster and keep on getting faster <laughs> and faster. Dave's going to try to drag it back to where it's supposed to be. And <laughs> nope, I'm going to be off to the races. That's Dave's struggle. That's for him to deal with. <laughs> um, Spencer, you and Aaron both play in another killer Portland band called Ezra Bell. Um, and you 
have spent a lot of time on the road the last year or so, I guess. That's right. Yeah, Ezra Bell's been on the road for probably five of the last 12 months. Um, Not all at once, luckily. And, Aaron, you you are playing the same instrument in that band, mm, or playing mm, horns. Yeah, playing horns, yeah. Rather, in that band as well. So maybe maybe the experience is a little bit different. Spencer, you playing bass in that band. Is that a refreshing thing for you to be able to like go out on the road and be more of a role player in this band and then come back home to something that's a little bit more yours? It's, ref- sisters. it's refreshing in that I don't have to do all the nuts and bolts to make it happen. I can take the role of, okay, look at my text messages. This is when I need to be in the van, and we're going to be on our way to this destination. And the songs are already written. I just have to write my part. A lot of the songs, since I came into a band that had been around for about six years before I joined, six or seven years before I joined, you know, I could take the bass player's part from before and then kind of add my own flavor to it or just scrap it entirely and write my own part. Um, it's just being the the joy of being able to do a different role. Yeah. And Aaron, for you, is it is it nice to to be able to come home to a different band and, and switch things up after playing the same sets night after night? Yeah, I mean, I really like having just the different flavors of stuff to play. I mean... Uh, Stiff Sisters, uh, because I'm playing with another horn player, like we have parts that are, um, that, you know, they, they go together and they, it's, it, it, uh, with, with Ezra Bell, I'm the main supporting horn player. So I don't have the same, um, uh, su- support, right? Huh? Nice. Yeah. Uh, but there's not this restriction of playing with another instrument that you're playing in harmony uh, with all in your line. You have a little bit more leeway as a kind of a lead instrument. You said that much better than I did. <laughs> That's beautiful. I'll yeah. just ask. No, yeah, just ask I'll, him to yeah. tell you what I think. Can but you tell me more about Aaron and his role in both Aaron. Ezra Bell and Marie's stepsisters? But one of the great things with Stiff Sisters is that uh, Spencer kind of uh, uh, is is the central hub around which the whole thing rotates. And that allows for a lot of peace of mind. So for this band, we get to all put all of that essentially on him. And we'll help whenever he tasks stuff out. But like... It, it's a lot of his energy, and with, um, with with other bands, sometimes it's more of a collaboration, and there's other there's lots more moving parts. So actually, I find it this band to be one of the uh, we all work together really well. It's it's easy, and uh, it's fun, and uh, we we play you know like I said, consistency in both personality and performance. Like we get because we are comfortable with each other, and because we're comfortable with performance, we can kind of cut loose and have a good time. So, and no one in this band has been in a fist fight with each other. That's true. <laughs> Yet. Yet. I don't know, Dave. You and you, you and Mike have played in bands for years and years. Have you ever fought Mike uh, in the future historians days? No fisticuffs between between you and Doherty. Uh, you know. I was just thinking of the only fisticuffs that Mike Doherty that I'm aware of has ever been involved with was uh, he he sort of got jumped by some kid on a skateboard and held his own, if I remember right, <laughs> several years ago. But no, uh, uh, future historians, very agreeable grown-ups, <laughs> as is Maurice and the Stiff Sisters. So I've been blessed for, uh, you know, a decade or so to be without fisticuffs in uh, any bands. When Michael had to fend himself off from the scamp, did he like hold himself like the old timey <laughs> boxer pose with uh, like from the teen nineteen teens? Of of the, course, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's put his Come dukes at me. up. Yeah, 
Put your dukes up. <laughs> uh, One right in the kisser for you. Yeah, Dave, you've been playing music with Mike for a, a long time then? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I started a band called Future Historians, um, and I met him through that process, and that was in 2008. So, was, yeah, we've been playing music together really steadily since then. Was Maurice and the Stiff Sisters the first time you guys played as a rhythm section together? Yeah, and that was because um, I'm the singer-songwriter and... Uh, so I play guitar in the other band, and I had never played drums with him, and uh, really fun, you know? Kind of interesting to know somebody musically really well, um, but then switch it up like that. Um, I think it probably made it easy, you know, in Maurice and the Stiff Sisters, or easier anyway. To, oh, absolutely. To kind of, you know, just the, that musical familiarity and comfort. Um, yeah, you guys have already developed somewhat of a vocabulary as you're songwriting and writing with Mike and writing the songs for the futures. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and just being comfortable with somebody else in the band and not being like this foreign, strange thing where you just jump yeah, in. Yeah, and we strangers. practice in the same place because we practice in Mike's basement, <laughs> so I already knew how to get there. You know, so <laughs> really a load off my mind. Right on. Um, well, I appreciate the fuck out of the tunes. I oh, dig it quite a bit. Like I said, you guys are definitely one of my favorite bands to come see live it's always a super good time and it just kind of always feels like like a party like if you're if you're trying to throw a party you should have maurice and the stiff sisters on the bill and if you are hosting a prom it's yeah. maurice and the stiff sisters <laughs> at gmail.com <laughs> i'll put all the links in the episode notes so people can uh definitely follow up with what what you have going uh, Our what website it, is uh, chatroulette.com, <laughs> C-H-A-T-R-O-U-L-E-T-T-E.com. It might take you a couple tries to get a hold of us, and but it'll be an interesting journey. Yeah, you'll get in there for sure. It'll be an experience. Uh, what is the official release date for the album? I know all of the singles are kind of out and about, and, and this will just kind of be them in, in a collection together, but when does that all hit? the uh, streaming services and whatnot. So Maurice and the Stiff Sisters releases our debut album, Welcome to Love, on January 16th, 2020. At, uh, and there's going to be an album release party at Mississippi Studios here in Portland, Oregon with Kalululu and Toy Boat, Toy Boat, Toy Boat. We chose really difficult bands. Those are the hardest names I'm to say. I'm going to have to say those yeah, names dude. on stage and not mess up, and it's going to be challenging. Stick around for Kalululu. <laughs> You just got to do it like that. <laughs> I just have to remember, we are Kalululu. We're all Kalululu. We're all them. I've been watching them for years. We're really stoked to be able to play with them. Uh, and some of my other bands that, uh, in, that I played with in Portland got to play with Kalululu. And uh, we're stoked. They're, they, they're, they're always evolving and coming up with different stuff and challenging. And then it's also really fun and weird. And just you know, they put on a fun show. Absolutely, man. Definitely one of my favorites in town, so that'll be a fun night at Mississippi Studios. I'm We're definitely... just happy to be able to collect all these songs into a, a, a finished place, and you know, to me, I think the most important thing is this song is, while we talk about how cool it is when you go see a band that has a, a stage show and a performance and are able to entertain, to me, it all comes down to the songwriting. I think of uh, songwriters like Robin Hitchcock and, and Nick Lowe and Jonathan Richmond and uh, Andy Partridge from XTC, uh, uh, these kind of world-class 
quirky, strange, clever, funny, sad, beautiful songs. And those are the kind of things that I, you know, that I hope to achieve and hope to kind of throw my hat into the ring of, of songwriters of those of that caliber. Uh, so I'm glad that you 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 listened to the lyrics. Yeah, dude, I think that that all comes through, you know, in in the tunes and in the performance. Um, Unlucky in Love. Dave mentioned this is one of the maybe the first tunes that you guys jammed on as a band. Yeah, one of the early ones that I wrote for the project. Um, I have a love of different kinds of uh, music from you know from around the world. Uh, a love of, if not. Uh, a vast knowledge of, but I love listening to songs from the Caribbean and uh, uh, like Afro-Cuban jazz and uh, South American Latin jazz type stuff. And so I wanted to kind of take a little bit of that flavor of the rhythm and the the kind of islandy uh, tropicalia groove and, and yeah. kind of went from there. And I kind of wanted to think about what's important in life, and uh, that's what led me to thinking about love and. I think all the songs on the album are in one way or another about love. Right on, um, that's man. why we called it Welcome to Love. Well, this is uh, this is Unlucky in Love, and that's the jam we're going to play it out with off of uh, off the new record. Thank you guys so much for, for hanging out and chatting it up with me. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, thanks for having us. Very much appreciated. Uh, we end every episode with the guest saying the, uh, the tagline for the show, which is, it's a program. So maybe if we could get the collective Maurice and the Stiff Sisters, it's a program. We can uh, properly sail this episode out. All right, ready, boys? On three. One, two. It's a program. God. <laughs> Damn it. Let's try it again. One, two, three. It's, it's a program. program. They nailed it, everybody. It's Maurice and the Stiff Sisters. We are playing it out with Unlucky in Love. Don't miss that album release show at Mississippi Studios on January 16th. I will be there. You should be there, too. And uh, that is the Jelly Jams, everybody. We will catch you on the flip side.
On three, one, two, it's a program. <laughs> Damn it!